Hey everyone, David Chen here. We got a special treat for you today, a bonus episode that features two reviews uh, of movies that have come out recently. First up, I did a very spoiler-filled review with Matt Singer from Screen Crush about The Dark Tower, which is out in theaters this weekend, uh, and really enjoyed taking apart that film with Matt Singer. Uh, following that, about 60 minutes or so into this episode of the podcast, uh, you'll hear Devinder Hardwar and I review Bong Joon-ho's newest film on Netflix, Okja. Uh, and there is a separate spoiler bumper for that movie review. Uh, but yep, that's what you got coming up for you here on this Slash Filmcast bonus episode. Uh, hope you guys enjoy this, and thanks for listening. For thousands of generations, the gunslingers were knights. Want to protect us from the coming of the dark. These visions, as you call them. What do you see? I see a tower. The man in black. And the gunslinger. They're just dreams. They're not real, Jake. There's another world out there. Oh, Who are you? It's you. You're a gunslinger, right? There are no gunslingers. Not anymore. Why does the man in black want to destroy the tower? The tower protects both our worlds. If it falls, hell will be unleashed. Joining us today, he is the editor-in-chief at ScreenCrush.com. He's also written a review of The Dark Tower entitled A Good Gunslinger in a Bad Gunslinger Movie. Matt Singer, welcome back to the Slash Filmcast. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Dave? I'm doing fine. I'm happy to be here with you to talk about The Dark Tower. And this bonus episode came about because... Uh, you and I, we, we Facebook chat back and forth about movies sometimes, and sometimes we really get off on a tear about movies that didn't make any sense to us. Uh, and when that happens, we're like, hey, let's try and capture this in a podcast form. So uh, appreciate you joining me today to talk about The Dark Tower, a new film directed by Nikolai Arcel based on the Stephen King fantasy series. Uh, and before we dive into this, a couple, couple of, uh, of announcements I just want to make. One is... We're probably going to spoil the film like right from the outset. Like we'll 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 have like plot details from the end of the movie that just come right up ahead. So this is not a movie uh, review to listen to if you want to remain unspoiled. Um, but also wanted to ask you before we dive into this plot and just kind of talk about it point by point. Overall thoughts on the movie, Matt. It sounds like you didn't like it. Why is that? Oh well. I uh, because it's it's a mess and it's not very good. Yeah, is that an acceptable answer? Those are pretty good reasons. Those are pretty good reasons. It 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 I I think it's uh, it's one of those movies where you can see the good movie it could have been, and in some ways that makes it much more frustrating and infuriating than just a terrible movie. Like it's it's um it's a better movie than the Emoji movie. But like the Emoji Movie, like there was no hope for the Emoji Movie from the get go. It's the Emoji Movie. Here, you can. There definitely could be 
a great movie. Maybe it has to be a TV show, but I still think you probably could make a great movie out of this material. And there are some elements of it where you can really see the potential of it. Uh, particularly Idris Elba, I thought was terrific in the movie. Even though the movie is just total garbage, he is like really, really fun to watch. And you can see why they cast him. And you just go, man, in a, in a, in a, in a better – in another universe in uh, the, the – I don't know. What do they call it? Midworld, whatever it is. Somewhere out there, there's a, there's a world where the Dark Tower movie is amazing and he is – you know he becomes like one of the biggest stars in the world because of it. You can just – you can see that. But the movie very rarely sort of attains even close to that potential. I think that's right. Uh, I agree with you. Idris is the best part of the movie, and I think there's actually some promising ideas, some promising uh, visual concepts in the movie. I think Midworld overall is designed in a kind of interesting way, but we see not very much of it. You know, it it's one of those movies where uh, it's both too much and too little. Like they, they throw a ton right. of exposition at you. But then the world doesn't feel developed enough. The world building doesn't feel uh, fully fleshed out. And uh, that's a big problem. That's a big problem. Uh, so let's, <laughs> kind of a problem. Let's talk about the plot of this movie. I'm going to read from your review. I tried to find a, a plot summary of this movie online. There's not that many available yet. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, let's start with your review here. We'll, we'll just go like piece by piece and talk about each, each component of it. It was never entirely clear who Elba's Roland Deschain. Is that how you pronounce it? Deschain? Uh, well, you're asking the wrong guy because yeah. we're both sort of dark. <laughs> we don't, we don't know the dark tower, but I think, I mean, and that might annoy some people who are listening, but to me, it's sort of, uh, I, I mean, I, this movie was supposedly designed to be understood by people who hadn't read the book. So right, right, I think right. that you're going to get that perspective is for people who haven't read the books. This is what two guys who don't know the material <laughs> thought of it, including the pronunciation of Deschain. Um, <laughs> Roland Deschain was, or was, I'm sorry. It was never entirely clear uh, who Elba's Roland Deschain was or why he was important or how he came to be trapped in this apparently endless war with the man he calls Walter and others call the man in black played by Matthew McConaughey. It's unclear even though Elba makes an incredibly charismatic vigilante, he's mostly a side character in the story of a deeply uninteresting kid named Jake Chambers, played by Tom Taylor, who lives in New York City and suffers from recurring nightmares about Roland and the Man in Black and the mysterious tower in the sky. So yeah, this is kind of the opening of the movie, right? And we're introduced to uh, both uh, Roland, Man in Black, as well as Jake Chambers, who's having dreams about them. Uh, he's kind of had trouble in school. He's drawing all these pictures. And when the movie began, I thought, hey, this might be an interesting metaphor about a kid dealing with trauma, right? And right, dealing right. with trauma in his life, and it manifests itself in these bad dreams, and he's making drawings about them, and the drawings are actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the same thing, actually. Like, no one seems to encourage this kid's artistic ability at all. Like, <laughs> I feel like if this kid was drawing like this, people would be like, man, we got to get you into art school. You've got some, you know, like, this is how James Cameron created the Terminator. He had, like, a fever dream, and he drew the Terminator because he saw it in his dream. Yeah, like, Im imagine if his mom and stepfather told him, put those dreams in a drawer, James Cameron. You right. Know? Or, we, or, or said, we're going to send you to a, an insane asylum. <laughs> right, which is Cameron, what happens in this movie. Which is what happens in this movie. My plot synopsis and your, your reading of it sort of uh, – uh, to me, I was sort of 
you said like, oh, it introduces all these people. I was kind of boggled that the movie takes so long to introduce Idris Elba. Like the very first scene, first of all, to me felt like it was the third act of another movie. Like it starts in this it looks like almost like a prison camp, and that's, I guess, kind of what it is with all these kids sitting around, and then a bunch of the kids are rounded up, and they go in this room, this weird, like, high-tech room, and they're strapped to these, like, torture chairs, and then they're all, I don't know, people are pressing buttons and stuff, and then they're all like, ah, they're screaming, and then their screams turn into energy, and then the energy, like, zaps into the sky, and it shoots this tower, and you're just like, where am I? What is happening? <laughs> well, and then, Matt, and then you, you, you're, you're missing the extremely helpful explanatory text that happens at the beginning of the film. Right, that is true. There is, uh, it's a, like, there's, there's this text that appears on screen that says, you know, there's a dark tower that protects all of our worlds. It is right. said the mind of a child could destroy it, right. which, you know. You're like, why would a child want to destroy it? How do yes. we know that a child can destroy it? <laughs> Whatever, it's fine. But yeah, so they start with this sort of, it's like a prologue. It, it you know, it's a dream by the, this this kid Jake. Um, uh, but it's just, and then and then we see a lot of Jake. It's all Jake, Jake, Jake. There's like we literally don't even see Idris Elba. I would, I think it's for like the first fifteen twenty minutes. Right, and then, and he, has then another, he has another dream sequence that features Idris right, Elba. Right, yeah. Right, he introduced the Idris Elba character is introduced in like the least exciting dramatic you know it's not like he's unveiled with this incredible flourish you know you talk about like the history of great movie introductions like this is at the very bottom of the list it's like he just has another generic dream sequence where roland and this other guy who we later learn is his father we don't i don't think they really explain that until after the fact um says uh, there's this it they're they're sort of in a fight with the man in black I, I was talking with someone who knows this material, and apparently this is like a, a sort of recreation of this famous event either from the books or before the books or whatever. But it's literally like two guys standing in a forest with so much fog that it made you go, did they just film this like in a park next to the studio? Because why is there so much fog? And then uh, the man in black shows up and kills the other guy who is Roland's father. But again, I don't think they explained that at first. I had no idea who it was. Right. And, right. Then, and then just leaves. Well, I, I think he says he's his father in that scene. I don't remember. Does he say it? I think, I think I, so. I remember thinking okay. that, oh, that's his father. Uh, played by Dennis Haysbert, who who, by the way, looks amazing at age 63. Uh, yes, he I, does. He, he, look, he just has aged extremely well. Um, but it, it also raises the question, Matt, why would these guys feel like they have any chance against the man in black if the man in black, all he needs to do is say, stop breathing? And the, that's his trump card. He can kill anyone by saying, stop breathing. Yes. So, yeah, his, w- his powers are incredibly unclear. Again, I'm sure <laughs> in the books he makes perfect sense. But in the movie, he is a guy who can tell anyone to do anything and they do it, except Roland, who for reasons that are never explained, he cannot control. He just con- he refer he mentions it all the time. He's like, "Oh, I see my magics don't work on you. All right, all right, all right." <laughs> and it, he says that at least twice, maybe three times over the course of the movie. And they exactly never exactly in that way too, right? With that exactly yep. in that way. He yep. con- he, I mean, they just make like it's like literally a studio note where they're like, "We need to explain why his magic doesn't work on him." 
somebody ADR in a line where McConaughey says this off camera. And that's what they do, basically. And they never explain why Roland is immune. Again, maybe they say it in the books. I don't know. But this is like another one of those things. Also, he has – the man in black also has telekinetic powers. He can like wave his arms and stop like falling glass. He can throw bullets. Well, he can well stop don't forget bullets. his biggest magical power, Matt, which is that he has the ability to look like Joe Bluth in the Brotherhood of Magicians from Arrested Development. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's a rough outfit. I think it, he does yeah. not look good in this movie. He, they say they do say he is a sorcerer, but they don't really explain the extent of his powers. It's he they, he seems he seems like a god, but that's sort of that's a problem because later in the movie, when he <laughs> dies, he dies very quickly and easily, relatively yeah. speaking. Like yeah. for all the buildup, it is very easy to kill him. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, he's wearing something like. Uh, Neo's outfit from Matrix Reloaded, like after he's become the one, except as if it was assembled from like a dollar store. You know, like it's, it doesn't look that good. It looks pretty cheap and really weird and silly, I would say. Uh, which is a shame because Matthew McConaughey is a great actor. I don't think this role did him any favors. I don't know what the problem was exactly, whether it was how the role was conceived or um, or how it was written or the direction. I don't know what was the problem here, but it did not work for me as a threatening figure. No, he's he's ridiculous. There's one scene where the Jake's parents show up in in their house, and he's there, and he's like <laughs> cooking, cooking chicken, and he's like, "We don't have chicken where I come from." And you're like, <laughs> "Wherever you come from, there's definitely chicken." Like just from the accent alone, you're definitely from a place that has chicken. <laughs> that's that's baloney. Sorry. And then later, like towards the end of the movie, he has all these doofy minions who look like idiots. And um, I think he, it's right before he jumps in one of his portals um, when the gunslinger is about to get into this big underwhelming gunfight with all of his minions. And he's like, have a good apocalypse and like then jumps in a portal and you're just like, Oof, this is – you know, for a movie based on uh, a bunch of books by one of the most beloved writers of all time, this movie is very <laughs> – very badly written like mm. the writing is so deficient if you didn't know it was based on something by a beloved author you'd be like who wrote this this is terrible the dialogue is bad anyway we should say there are like four or five screenwriters on this thing. yeah there's so four credited cooks in this kitchen um but uh going on in in your plot summary here at screencrush.com uh quote jake is convinced these dreams are real and draws them in impressively detailed sketches he hangs on his bedroom walls but everyone including his concerned mother thinks he's crazy even jake's therapist insists his fear of an impending apocalypse is all made up which seems particularly cold because the world keeps getting rocked by repeated unexplained earthquakes there is an earthquake during the therapy session maybe they shouldn't be so quick to dismiss the kid end quote uh one thing i found to be mildly amusing was that jake's stepdad lawn is an asshole from the jump. Like, (laughs) he has no sympathy whatsoever for this situation. Like, he hates this kid. Yeah, yeah, which I guess is, you know, captures a real-world stepfather relationship with, you know, stepson, but... Right. Uh, it, it, there's no nuance to that relationship whatsoever. No, um, it's a it's a it's a ridiculous. Again, the writing of that character is just so absurd and terrible. I thought Catherine yeah, the, Winnick, uh, who played Jake's mom, did a good job uh, being like a concerned mother that uh, actually, I, you know, in a in a better movie uh, would have been kind of one of the emotional cruxes of the movie. Right, but she's she's again doesn't have she's she's in this movie for like eight minutes. Eight you know? minutes, yeah, <laughs> and so when the, and. 
the most important thing that happens to her happens off screen. Yeah. And, then, oh. and and then they, you know, like they, it's not even clear exactly what happened. I mean, like she basically dies off screen and you don't even really know. They, they again, they don't show it. The Jake comes back from this adventure with the gunslinger to find like a basically like a burn spot on his floor. And he's like, oh, my God. Oh, no. And and the gunslinger is like, don't look at it. Don't use your mind powers to <laughs> to see it. And don't uh, and use I, your shinning. Like, don't um, use the shinning boy. And, and I'm going, well, I don't want this poor child to see it either. But I'd like to have some sense of what happened here because they never showed it. <laughs> And it's yeah, just I mean, how does like, he even know yeah. that it's his mom? Like, it could be the kid next door or something, you know? Like, Absolutely. You have no, no they, idea who that is, that, that no charred idea. husk on the ground is. Yeah, um, I mean, it's it's very, very unclear. But yeah, I just thought it was so funny that, like, the world is being rocked by repeated, unexplained earthquakes. Like, they say that scientists can't explain what's happening. Like, and it's happening all the time. Uh, seems like a reason, a, a, a reasonable reason to be afraid that the world is coming to an end. Like if you were a child therapist, you would be concerned about that. I mean, even if you don't think that it's a problem, it's a re- it's a rational reason for a child to be having nightmares. And yet, and this kid is drawing these unbelievably detailed drawings that no child could draw, and the the therapist is just like. Jake, you're crazy. You're smarter than this. You know there's nothing wrong. And then there's like a giant earthquake, right, as he says this. It's like, come on, dude. You're, you're terrible at your job. Well, what would you say? Would you say, okay, let's let's explore this. Maybe there is a supernatural tower that's protecting us. I don't think I would say that. I think I would try to comfort the child, though, rather than like dismissing him, right. trying to understand and like empathize with this kid rather than being like, ah, oh, you're full of crap. Hey, did you see this this picture of the Overlook Hotel on my shelf? <laughs> uh, well, here you write, Jake's dreams are real, of course, and he eventually manages to find a portal to Roland's home in Midworld in Brooklyn's obvious backlot neighborhood. Never heard of that neighborhood. I think you live in New York. Yeah, right? it's yeah. it's pretty obscure. A lot of people don't don't yeah. know it. I'm I'm not too far away. It's just a couple of subway stops down from me. I mean, at this mo- point in the movie, we're like 20 minutes into the movie, aka like a quarter of the way through the movie, and <laughs> uh, and I'm still like kind of on board for this. You know, I'm I'm not uh, hating this movie or anything like. I, I think overall, I didn't hate the movie at, at all. Actually, I think. Uh, if anything, I feel nothing about this movie. You know, like I, I, it didn't make that much of an impression on me. Right. But, but at this point in the movie, I'm still kind of okay. Let's see where you're going, movie. Because um, I think the, the design of the skins, right, the uh, the demon creatures or whatever from Matthew McConaughey's world who have like human skin on them, I like the seams in the neck and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. It was kind of a fun scene when Jake escapes out the window, and then the psychologists or whatever you see their true colors. They're really actually trying to take him away and. Um, there's this kind of weird chase sequence on the roof, and uh, Jake runs away, and I, I'm actually still kind of on board at this at this point in the movie. I'm thinking, oh, where is this going? And so Jake ends up teleporting to uh, Midworld, but not before the wood flooring tries to attack and kill him <laughs> in the building. For no um, re- for no explained reason for, either. That's another completely bizarre moment. I think they might make a reference to it later in the movie, um, like when they're in uh, the Man in Black's lair and they're talking about something that happened with that portal. I think they might allude to uh, the attacking wood. But I mean, I they definitely mention an old portal. 
Right. But if 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 they explained why the ha- why <laughs> the house comes alive and attacks him, I missed. I yeah, missed that. I, I I probably missed it. Like if anything, it, it was stops, like it immediately stops too. It like is like ah, it's all attacking him. And he's well, I think it's because of his psychic powers. Like that was my interpretation. Oh, it, it was is like, that what it is? Like he, his the... extremely poorly defined psychic powers were able to stop right. the wood from attacking him. I mean, um, I guess that I guess that that's a logical explanation. I'm not sure that the movie makes that explicit, but I guess that's an uh, Explanation. Yeah, and, and if did. if the movie does explain the why the wood comes out of the ground and attacks Jake, like it, it is a one to two sentence explanation at most. Right. Uh, I do wish that the movie put a little more effort into like um, because they definitely shot some of the movie in New York. There, like um, there are definitely shots of real New York, and uh, some most of it seems like it was shot on a single block near Union Square. Mm. The beginning, like the the scene where he bumps into that crazy guy on the street who was like we later learn was like a formerly kidnapped child or whatever, the homeless man. Um, That's all like one block. And like later when he's walking with Roland in the city and he's like, wow, I feel a lot better after drinking that sugar water and eating those vitamins or whatever. That's like the exact same block. So it seemed like they shot the movie in like, in like one block, which again speaks to the sort of limited world building. But I just wish they had got put a little effort into make like finding a house that looked vaguely like something that might actually exist in brooklyn like it's just like it looks like the monster house house like, right so- when, when he walks up to it uh you see a view of the houses behind him and then i'm thinking oh well that that looks like new york cut to the reverse shot when you see this monster house that looks like it doesn't belong in new york and i'm like that's probably on some kind of back lot or something like there, yeah. there's probably some movie magic to fuse those two scenes together uh yes. but anyway uh jake heads through the portal which, by yes. the way, is like sci-fi. I believe in the book, The Man in Black, his whole lair is uh, – it's much less sci-fi. It's much more like supernatural. Um, yeah. But I, I think the way it's conceived of in the movie is pretty silly. I, I, don't, I don't remember if it was your review or another review I read that's basically like this – Man in Black's lair is like Cabin in the Woods. It's like the – the underground bunker in Cabin in the Woods, pretty much. Right. I, d- I didn't say that, but I definitely got that sense, especially because one of the guys who works there is one of the actors from Cabin in the Woods. He's one of the actors in Cabin in the Woods. Right? Yeah, it's hard not to make that comparison. Right. And uh, this is a movie that tries to combine supernatural and sci-fi in ways that I don't feel are fully successful. You know? I don't... I, I didn't quite uh, buy it. You know, that uh, the man in black is godlike powers and has, is like a sorcerer but also he needs a crew of people <laughs> running right. running his Minions. like machinery uh right. in this underground lair it just is yeah. well if, if he, you know if he has all these powers why can't he just make all this machinery go why does he need machinery at all you know like why does, he need, why does he need underlings if he can tell anyone to do anything why would he ever send these like generic underlings <laughs> to go uh fight people for him when he could literally walk up and just say come with me yeah. you know or you're going to follow me and do it exactly what i say like isn't that a much easier way to get things done than to send like generic mindless monster dudes to to capture someone or to get something you need like they never do anything right, and then he's all upset. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's I, like it's like when um you know like in the old Super Friends or something when uh when like Darkseid would send his minions and he'd be so upset when they screwed everything up. It's like you know if you want something done right, do it yourself, man. And by do it yourself, you mean mind control people to do it. Yeah. Right? 
Uh, I mean, I think what Matt and I are alluding to is that the the rules of this world are very poorly established. Uh, like, what can the man in black do? What can he not do? What are his limits? We have no idea. It's not set up at all. It's not no. explained at all. Uh, I, I did think it was kind of interesting. You know, there's this moment when he walks past this little girl who's talking to his mom, and he, he, he waves his hand, and he says, hate. And then her eyes fill with, like, this black stuff. <laughs> And uh, and then she just goes back to the conversation, and it's it's not like she becomes a raving lunatic or anything like that. But right. you, you, you think, don't see hey, what happens next. maybe this maybe this girl is gonna become a horrible teenager one day, you know? <laughs> and that's that's Matthew McConaughey's influence on her. I, I, I think you know it's interesting to see like the devil walking through our world doing his stuff. Um, we just don't very often see depictions of that these days. So yeah, anyway. All right, well, let's move on. Even though Jake is drawn from the Dark Tower books, the moment he meets Roland and starts tagging along on his trek through Midworld, the Dark Tower begins to feel less like an adaptation of a famous novel and more like fan fiction by someone who always wanted to hang out with the gunslinger, end quote. Uh, so, yeah, Jake arrives in Midworld, uh, meets the gunslinger. They start to have adventures together. Yes, uh, he, he, he's, he like despises him initially. He, like, he distrusts him and doesn't like him, doesn't want to come with him. Then, then I would within, say within maybe five minutes, within five screen time minutes, he's like his surrogate father and yeah. they're besties forever. Yeah. 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 I, I have to admit, I was kind of shocked to learn again, not knowing the books that the Jake character was from the books because the way that it, the whole film, the film feels, it feels like someone either like a, like a studio executive or the, one of the writers was like, this world is so weird. We need a character to be the in who explains everything, and we see it all through his eyes. And they created this cipher character who <laughs> is totally bland and has no, you know, no interesting experiences or thoughts. Or It's just there to be the conduit to see this strange world because the movie is not told from – you know, there's the, Roland, the main character from the books as I understand it, is like – Barely in the movie, especially in the first like half. It's all about this kid discovering all this stuff. And so I was sort of shocked to learn that he is in the books because it just feels like some terrible screenwriter conceit to make something kind of weird and strange more palatable to a mainstream audience by giving the audience this surrogate that they can experience the world through and 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 even to the fact where you know the fan fiction thing it's like when he arrives and meets the gunslinger he's like it's you you know he treats him like he's a celebrity i almost thought when he was giving giving him his drawing he was gonna like could you sign this for me (laughs) it's it's so it's very bizarre he's he's seeing the the badass dude from his dreams matt if you met a badass dude from your dream you'd probably be fawning over him right yes you're right (laughs) i think one of the issues you know that you're pointing to is it was a strategic miscalculation to make jake the main character of this film right yes like if they had just if the movie was just gunslinger stuff mm-hmm. uh it, 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 like if uh idris elba's character was the main character and there was no jake whatsoever i could see this being potentially a much better film right totally uh but the problem, you know, I, I understand what they're trying to do. Jake's lost his father in the real world. He gains a father in Midworld. The gunslinger is his new dad, is his new father figure. I get it. I understand. The problem is that the relationship has absolutely no time to develop. Uh, you, you know, you have no idea what emotional journey Jake goes on during the course of this movie. By the way, another another random thing about Jake. 
I could swear that this character changes like appearance and voice a couple times through the film. Meaning, like, oh, he totally does. Like, like well, there's reshoots on this movie, and it feels like they reshot this movie at a time when he was like significantly older. So there's like a couple scenes, particularly towards the end, where I thought that dude looks and sounds way different than he did, you know, five scenes ago. There's definitely a uh, a puberty situation <laughs> happening with this kid, where in, in some of the scenes he looks much younger than he does later and his voice changes yeah. pitch too. I was just like, whoa, that, that and of course you can't you can't go backwards, right? You, you, like he there's no way he can ADR in an old, like a younger voice of himself. So uh they you know they had to make do with what they they had. But yeah, it, it was it was very odd. But um the the relationship between Jake and the gunslinger, it's not well developed. It it's informed completely by action on screen. Um, yeah. like there stuff happens to them and you know, Gunslinger snaps into protective mode, and uh, but you have no no understanding for why that might be, except later on maybe when everyone in hushed tones says, "Oh my gosh, it's a Gunslinger!" So you get a sense that hey, maybe this guy was a protector before, and now he's become a protector again. You know, I mean, it's it's not nothing, but it's very very little, and it needed to be more, I think, to to really sell the development of this relationship that serves as the the core of the movie, right? The, right. The, most of the movie is the two of them journeying together. And uh, anyway, they go into the forest. Uh, they see a Pennywise, like, carnival thing. Another reference. A to sign. Stephen King. Yeah. yeah. There's many references to Stephen King movies throughout this uh, movie, actually. Yes. Your colleague Britt Hayes at Screen Crush did a nice video essay about this. Um, yep. You can find that at Screen Crush's YouTube page. But uh, they go into the forest, and uh, they're attacked by these creatures, and one of them... Um, well, one creature, right? It's only one creature? I guess it's one creature. You know, he looks like... Uh, <laughs> Good luck. He looks like Jake's dad, right? Jake's dead dad, and then uh, he, you know, Jake, like, reaches out and touches his hand, and Roland's like, get back, and shoots at him, and then the creature, like, come, like comes back and uh, attacks him, and, you know, this is one of, like, three action scenes in the movie, so I feel the need to point it out. I mean, what did you think of the action in this movie, Matt? Um, it was terrible. Um, <laughs> the main issue, though, is that, I mean, again, like, Idris Elba really looks the part. You mentioned McConaughey's terrible costume and his his sort of styling and it is but elba looks amazing i loved his costume i loved his like duster jacket that he would like flourish and he looks really cool when he's doing all kinds of crazy gun stuff but most i guess really all of the action i can't think of a counterexample takes place at night or in like dark warehouses or hallways. Right. So there's real and this scene in particular you're describing with this monster character, it is so dimly lit. You cannot see anything. It is unclear what's happening. The monster, there isn't a single clear establishing shot. So you can see what this monster looks like, what it is doing, what it is. It's like it, it, I mean it almost looks like they dimmed the movie down. Um, so that you couldn't see what was happening because the effects were bad or something. Well, I mean, it's I've... also just like they they don't they didn't introduce the idea that this monster would be out. You know, there, no one earlier in the movie says, "Watch out at night." There's these little right. like fear creatures out there. You know, you got to right. be aware of. Uh, it no shows setup, up for no, one scene. Yeah, no tension. Like it, it just this com- it comes out of nowhere. It's right. resolved just as quickly, right? It, it shows up. 
uh, it poisons him, which we don't really know the ex- like how the poison works or what it's going to do to him. Right. Um, he kills it. It dies. We never see another one of those creatures again. And yeah. later, <laughs> later, even though he's like dying from the wounds, when they go to Earth, he literally like takes a handful of medicine and downs some coke, and he's fine. Right. Right. And they never bring it up again. Yeah. So they come upon this village where uh, these people take care of them. And, you know, one thing I'll say about this movie is uh, they, they did have a pretty diverse cast. You know, they used people of color when sure. they didn't necessarily need to use people of color. I don't believe the gunslinger is explicitly a person of color in the book. Uh, I'm pretty so, sure he's not. Yeah. So props to uh, the movie for, you know, casting like uh, people of different uh, ethnicities. There's an Asian person who's another psychic person who also has the shining. A uh, seer. A seer, that's right, yeah. And uh, she basically says, "Hey, you gotta. Here's a, uh, you know, here's a way to to get to the dude. For, first of all, I don't understand why, uh, like, Idris Elba's character, the gunslinger, needs uh, J- Jake at all, because presumably, if he's trying to find the man in black, there is a beam of light shooting out of the sky <laughs> towards the, towards the dark tower." It's like maybe just follow the beam of light. Follow guy. the like, just giant keep going beam of to light. The beam of light that's destroying the dark tower. You know. Yeah. Uh, you don't well, need this kid to guide you there. It, anyway, it just... that's an outstanding. No, that's no, not anyway. That is a fantastic point. That's uh, <laughs> not really addressed in the movie. I I I think in general what you're also speaking to here is that. Uh, again, the, based on you know my understanding of the books, re- talking to colleagues who are huge fans of the books. You know the 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 quest to the dark tower and the war, like the, the geography of Midworld and how everything is connected and how everything looks and feels like it's a huge part of it. It's like Lord of the Rings. It's an entire sort of world to explore. Right. And here you feel like literally they're on one mountain and then a, a village right next to it, and you have no sense of how far away the dark tower is or even where the dark tower is. Like I was sort of shocked when it was all over. Like how little of like. The Dark Tower itself is in the movie, like, and where it is and how to get to it and what to do. And it, it, it just – we see it in a couple of those shots with, like, the, 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 the laser beam that you're referring to. But that's about it. Like, it's not even, like, looming way off in the distance in right, shots. Right, Like, I'm sort of surprised at that, you know, and I think of, like – because I've seen certainly, like, seen pictures of the illustrations and the artwork from the books online. And it's all, like, the tower in the background and these beautiful images of it. Like, those images – are so gorgeous, just like the artwork done for the books. And the movie in no way reflects that, even comes close to sort of capturing that kind of grandeur, that epic feeling. It really feels like it was shot on a, on a back lot, on a soundstage. Yeah, uh, part, the- part of that is the decision to make this movie for $65 million, right? Which yeah, is- it, looks, it looks like a small movie. Yeah. I mean, it does not look, it does not feel like an epic um, akin to a Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit or anything like that. It just it doesn't have that sense of grandeur or or anything like it. And and so as a result, you don't get the sense that they're on this epic quest. You feel like oh, they're just walking around. They walk from a forest to a mountain to the village next door, and then they jump in a portal. It's like it's just the the enormity of it all is in no way reflected in the in the movie. Right. I, I remember uh, watching this movie Lost City of Z recently. And there was at the earlier earlier on in the movie, you know, it's about these guys tra- traveling into the jungle. There's three or four establishing shots uh, that show them walking across these massive, like, 
you know, sand dunes or, you know, wintry mountaintops or whatever. Like, it just felt like, wow, they must have done a lot of work to get these four establishing shots that are in the movie for 20 seconds. You know, right. to show the two characters uh, walking along. But it really did a lot to sell the idea that these guys were traveling vast distances. And this movie doesn't do any of that, in my opinion. Like, it, you don't get the sense that they're, uh, they're going on this epic quest, as you mentioned. Uh, and no. I think budget is a huge part of that. By the way, Lost City of Z, not a big budgeted movie either. So um, it's, it's, not the, the, it's not the size of the budget. It's what you do with it. But uh, so uh, we're, we're coming near the uh, last third of the movie already, which is yes. that uh, Gunslinger goes to, to New York City. They, they basically say, okay, you got to go, uh, you got to go to New York City. To find the find man a, in black. Find a portal that will the then portal. lead you back to man in black's lair. That was my understanding Correct. of what, what was going on, right? That's what I got to. Um, so they go into the portal, back to New York City, and, and there's a section here you described like last action hero where you yes. have this kind of badass who's fish out of water in our world. Yes. Um, and Doesn't uh, understand our, way, our strange ways and customs. You know, thinks hot dogs are made out of dogs, which is was. I mean, it's all right. It's fine. It's cute. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of those jokes I actually thought were were um, some of the best stuff in the movie. To be honest with you, like it's sort of it's fun. You know, Idris Elba I thought played them all perfectly. Um, very dry, undersells it all. You know, I, when I say it's like Last Action Hero, it's not necessarily meant as an insult. I like Last Action Hero. I just was surprised that this movie um, became. <laughs> Last action hero. I was not expecting it. Again, like what I know of the Dark Tower novels, that wasn't exactly what <laughs> I thought it was was going to happen here. Well, well I, I, actually, you know, we forgot to mention the action scene that happens right before this in the village we, with all these poorly defined villains running around and killing everyone. Uh, and I, I did enjoy that scene where Man in Black, he's, he's kind of owning all these dudes, and then he kind of he does the, uh, you know, equalizer matrix bullet time thing where he, like, uh, he breathes and, and he can see, like, everything around him, and he fires a bullet and, like, saves Jake using one. Uh, that's a cool moment that is the, in the movie. That is the coolest moment in the movie, for yeah. sure. Yeah, so wanted to just give a shout-out. Like, that, that, I did like that, um, the idea that he can somehow... You know, calculate exactly where this bullet is going to be and how it's going to kill this guy. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, but again, are. that scene takes place in a, like a dimly lit <laughs> uh, village. The guys that are there killing them, I guess they're all just minions of the Man in Black. We never really get a good look at them. We don't know if they're super powerful, if they're just monster men, right. like what they can do, what they can't do, how to, how easy or hard it is to kill them. Right. You know, and it's not, it's not really clear either, like the gunslinger, like what makes him so – like he mentions at one point, I heal fast. Like, oh, he's like Wolverine? Is he yeah. like actually like supernaturally strong? Well, I don't know if you notice this, Matt, but he can reload really fast. I think that's his special. He can part. reload really fast. <laughs> and he mentions – they mention – someone mentions his guns are made out of Excalibur, which I thought was like, oh, that was like – that's really cool. Like are we going to learn more about that? Nope. <laughs> nope, just one line. That's it. Apparently, Take, in an early, like if you see posters of this movie earlier on, like the guns actually were glowing. Yeah, uh, I, I, I didn't remember that, but uh, I think Eric Vespi was pointing that out on yeah. Twitter, and I was like, wow, that was a bad choice. I'm glad they got rid of that. Yeah, so the guns, but the but guns it, do not glow in the movie. Yeah, no, yeah. it's but again, it's really not entirely clear whether like his guns are magical or just guns uh are he is he firing super bullets or just bullets right, it, right. It, you know like is he like a superman is he like a like a superhero kind of guy with magic powers or is he just an incredibly competent gunslinger it's it, 
I don't know. It's not, <laughs> it's not really explained. Yeah. So they go to New York. Uh, he acquires some weapons. And then, like, the fight starts almost immediately. Uh, Asian dude at the gun shop is possessed by, you know, Man in Black. It's right. Like shooting at him. That's pretty. Uh, inter- it's a pretty interesting moment. He's like, "It's not me, silly. Don't you understand what's going on?" <laughs> uh, that, that, was, was... that moment isn't from Last Action Hero. That's from the Terminator, the original Terminator, where the Terminator goes into the gun shop and he's like, "Uzi nine millimeter," and the gun, you know, and then he's like, "Phased plasma rifle," and he's like, <laughs> "Just what you see here, pal." I mean, it's basically, <laughs> it's basically that scene, but they made it into like a, a, a brief action scene. Right. And anyway, all uh, all paths converge towards uh, the Crimson King Club underground club or whatever. Which, by the way, like, was the Crimson King thing ever explained? Like, do we know what the Crimson King is? Is, I, is I, Man in Black also Crimson King? Like, that was. I, I thought I was wondering the same thing. I, I thought I was like, oh, is the Man in Black the Crimson King? He's not. They don't explain it in the movie. But the but in the in the books, the Crimson King works. Excuse me. The Man in Black works for the Crimson King. He's like the ultimate bad guy. I see. But like, and, and the and the Man in Black is more of uh, his sort of like, I don't know, his like number right two or, or whatever. Right. Yeah. The guy, his the guy who does his dirty work, I suppose. Right. Uh, that's what I, was explained to me. But I thought the exact same thing. I was like, there's all this graffiti about the Crimson King, and oh, so he's that's Matthew McConaughey. I didn't under like they don't explain it. But yeah, right. yeah, it's pretty pretty poorly explained. But anyway, they end up at that lair. Uh, was that Jackie Earl Haley for like in the movie for five yes. minutes? Yeah. So, yes, he's the main guy in that section. Yeah. So anyway, they they go there and uh, the man in black finally gets the kid because he he needs the kid. He needs Jake. We we actually forgot to even talk about this. He needs <laughs> Jake to use Jake's psychic powers to finally destroy the Dark Tower once and for all. Right. Jake, he has the shining. I mean, it's and it's not even like alluded to. It's explicit. He has the shining. I mean, they from say the, the shining like fifty times. Yeah, he, they say your shine. His shine is super strong. Like it's it's not like an Easter egg. It is an essential element of the plot. Um, and so there's a lot of like interesting threads there that they could have pulled on. You know, like there's a there's the idea that oh, um, this kid is dealing with this f- father trauma of his father's death and. Maybe he has the shine, and he's developing the shine, and, and he uses the shine to defeat the man in black at the end. You know, like, that's one way you could have gone with this story, yes. right? Uh, like, the shine is somehow tied to the trauma, maybe. Like, because of the trauma, now he has the shine. Or so, you know, there's, there's many ways you could have done this, uh, and the movie chose probably one of the most uninteresting ways, which is that... Uh, <laughs> I mean, what ends up happening is that Matthew McConaughey gets the kid... Uh, he he takes the kid through the portal. The kid, uh, to to his credit, uses his shine to keep the portal uh, open, right? So I guess like that kind of helps. And then uh, and then like Idris Elba kills a hundred dudes using revolvers, and then right. faces off against the man in black. Now, what right. do you think of this action scene? Like I I actually enjoyed it. It took it was over in three minutes, but uh, I, I thought. Seeing a dude reload revolvers like a bunch of times to kill enemies, you rarely see that these days because it's so inconvenient. Most people in modern day movies use use clips, uh, right. and so there's something visually interesting about a dude being forced to reload a revolver all this time. Right? Um, yeah, it's it seems like a kind of a um, a knockoff version of the scene in the Matrix where Neo and Trinity are storming the, right. the building where they're holding Morpheus. You know, like one or two people against a million people. Um, but yeah, like the stuff again, like 
Idris Elba, I thought, really has like a presence on screen, and he's he's like what he's doing could be incredibly silly, like tossing bullets in the air and then catching them in the in the chamber of the right. gun and like flicking the gun across a gun belt and having the bullets fall in the gun. Like that could be done. That could be so so silly, but. It actually is pretty cool, and he has this sort of intensity about him where you don't—he's not messing around. You know what I mean? Like it's—it's um, it's handled pretty well in terms of the actual like action, like the choreography, the cutting. It, there's nothing. There's nothing special about it. Right. I just think he and like the he way and the, that him he, and the concept of what yes. he's doing in in that scene is pretty good. Yeah, right? and also like the way he moves and carries himself. Like he—it's like it's kind of like it's like. I think I described it in my review as like Gene Kelly meets Chow Yun Fat. There's probably mm. also a little like Clint Eastwood in there too. Yeah, great, great but comparison. Yeah, yeah, but it's like those three combined. It's and it's and it's really cool. And you and those are the moments where you're like, oh, in a good movie, this would be the he would be the coolest action hero like who ever lived. Right, right. So uh, then he faces off against Man in Black, like final confrontation. Uh, Man in Black uses his psychic powers to like move objects in the room to attack Idris Elba. Like here's here comes some glass. Here comes rocks from the ground, Idris. Uh, here comes a this whole thing killer. is a disaster. <laughs> this part is a disaster, and I think personally that this was my my gut tells me this was all like reshot. It just has the stink of they totally redid this ending because they kidnap the kid, they take him away. They're torturing him in the torture chair with the mind lasers and yada, yada, yada. And he's like, he's keeping the portal open. And then – so the idea being he's keeping the portal open so that what's-his-name can come through and save him, right? right? But Idris Elba never goes through that portal, and Matthew McConaughey just walks back through the portal and fights him on our world. So like what's the point of keeping the portal open if Idris Elba – I guess at the end he shoots a one bullet through the portal right, right. and blows up the entire building where it's – again, it's like how, how powerful are these guns? How are these magic bullets? But like really the kid doesn't – do anything when you think about it he just because because mcconaughey comes back and then the whole thing is shot in this random hallway like that they right. could have just looks like they like built a hallway on a soundstage and it just again it doesn't really pay off like you were saying the fact that they build up jake jake is the main character jake is the one who we're following and the end of the movie is just this really silly very brief gunfight and uh, mind bullet fight between <laughs> Idris Elba and McConaughey. It just doesn't pay off what the movie has set up. And then and he dies incredibly quickly and easily, McConaughey does. And well, well, well uh, so yeah, let's let's talk about that. So he he throws like a piece of concrete down onto Idris Elba and then you know Idris Elba starts doing that uh that chant or whatever it is you know the uh like you know I do not aim with my eye I aim with my it, the, the gunslinger motto the, gun, the, the gunslinger motto is like I you know creed uh I I have not uh, or I have not forgotten the face of my father or whatever right um, I don't brush my teeth with my toothbrush those <laughs> who brush their teeth with their toothbrush have forgotten their face the, of the their face father. of their father, right? Exactly. I brush my teeth with my mind. <laughs> exactly. That kind of stuff. That, that kind of stuff. Uh, he starts chanting the gunslinger motto, and then uh, shoots a bullet at Matthew McConaughey, like he does uh, previously. Then shoots another bullet that ricochets off a wall. That then intersects the first bullet, diverting the first bullet's path into Matthew McConaughey's heart, killing Correct. him. Correct. Yes. Right? Now, as I pointed out to you. 
yes. that doesn't make any sense because if in, the, in nerd voice, in please. nerd voice, right? The are we to believe <laughs> the second bullet should have been fired first because it has longer distance to travel. Uh, so it doesn't make any sense on its face. But well, how qu- could a bullet catch up to another bullet? Uh, it, well, it, it it could if you fired them in the correct order. Anyway. <laughs> Um, but but uh, putting that putting the scientific inaccuracy of this movie aside, uh, the the fact that Matthew McConaughey can be killed with a bullet through the heart is never introduced earlier in the film, right? Uh, this guy who walks through the world like he owns the place, uh, and he can just get people to die by disrupting their autonomic nervous system, uh, right. and say like, "Don't breathe, stop breathing, quiet," you know, like he can just command people and like they'll do what he says. This guy is basically like God, uh, but he can be felled with a bullet through the chest. Right. Uh, I, I mean, I think theoretically there's no reason I, – like they say he's a sorcerer, and a sorcerer can just be a guy with lots of magic powers. I guess it doesn't mean you're immortal, but it does – He there's no evidence or setup that he could be killed so easily in the movie. You would think if you wanted to make that the payoff – you would show him, I don't know, getting shot in the arm and like saying, like bleed, something to establish that this guy who seems all powerful can be killed. You know yeah, what I mean? I mean? He, like, when, earlier when uh, the gunslinger shot at him, he caught the bullet with his He fingers. catches the bullets, right? Yeah. So cl- that's what makes you think he's like a god. Yeah, exactly. Like a, a quote unquote human could not do that. Uh, so, you know, or, or uh, like. The this he has like the man in black he has these amazing powers, um, but his one weakness is his heart. And even though that would have been cheesy, at least you would be like, oh, okay, I understand uh, right. <laughs> what you're building up to, which is that you've got to find a way to somehow expose, it, like have some kind of of plot payoff for for that idea. Um, but nope, he just gets killed in the chest after the end of a you know three minute action scene between Gunslinger and Man in Black. That looks, again, I want to reiterate, looks very, very stupid. Like Matthew McConaughey is like, like you said, waving his arms like a magician, Uh, you know, like, like Job from, uh, from Arrested Development, you know, it's the final countdown and he's like catching, (laughs) uh, he, he catches bullets, he stops glass and then throws the glass with his mind. Then he's like literally like flicking bullets, like pew, pew. Like it, it's just <laughs> he's yeah he's he's flinging bullets at the man at right. the, the gunslinger uh, and it's so bizarre because everything Idris Elba is doing looks really cool the way he's he he unfurls his jacket and slides across the floor and then every time they cut to Matthew McConaughey he looks so incredibly stupid it's just a very strange juxtaposition between this incredibly cool character and this total doofus it's like <laughs> how did this happen it's very strange so. Uh, so you know, there's a a double seven movie called Spectre that came out recently. It's a terrible movie, and in the movie Spectre, there's a scene where uh, James Bond is leaving the enemy lair, Blofeld's lair, and he takes a machine gun and he fires at the at the lair for like five seconds, and the entire <laughs> lair. I forgot. I forgot. The that. entire lair blows up. Right. Yeah. And I remember reading a review. I don't remember who it was. But it might have been like Drew McWeeny or something who said like. Uh, it it happened so quickly. I thought it was a dream sequence. <laughs> like I don't remember who who, who wrote that, but it, it, it's like the the way that James Bond destroyed that entire building right. was so quick and easy 
that it could have been a dream sequence. Yes. That's how the ending of this movie felt. Uh, oh, no, w- this, this makes that look, like, uh, realistic. Yes, this, this makes that spectacular. one bullet. He, he takes, like, yeah, maybe a couple bullets. Like, he, he fires bullets into the machine that Jake is sitting in. After right, Jake he, is out he, of it, of course. The, the machine he's in, that free, then that frees Jake. That frees and then Jake. I think he just yeah. shoots one more bullet. One bullet into the device, and the entire building <laughs> comes crashing down. Giant explosion. Giant explosion. The building is completely annihilated uh, off this one bullet, and it's like, well... I guess that's the end of that chapter. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. They spent Stephen King wrote how many books like resolving the Dark Tower mythos, and even then, like I think it all ends with basically like, well, we're gonna do this start over from the very beginning and do like it's like an endless cycle. <laughs> Not here. It took only, it only took me eighty eight minutes to shoot the man in black in the heart and blow up the machine and save the Dark Tower. Good night, everybody. <laughs> but then that singer comes our favorite part of the movie. <laughs> that's the best scene in the whole movie. <laughs> the best scene in the whole movie when. And they're eating a hot dog, right? And he's yep. like, he's like, he's like, what breed is the hot dog? Ha 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 ha. <laughs> uh, and he says, you know, you should come back with me. Um, you have nothing to live for here. <laughs> I think, right? Is, is what the gunslinger says to Jake. Come with me, Jake, you got nothing left on this on this hellish planet. <laughs> and many many issues with that. First of all, it, that is incredibly cold blooded. I mean. Jake has no friends. He has this neighbor next door who he hangs out with all the time. Like right. may- maybe that family could adopt him. Yep. Uh, secondly, like we, I mean, we never see any of Jake's school life, but presumably he has people who like care about him there. Maybe I don't know. Well, there is that one scene in the school where he beats up a, a bully. Uh, right. Exactly. My, my yeah. dog is barking. I apologize no, if you no, hear that. No. He's he's being bothered by the man in black. I think. <laughs> no problem. And third of all. Uh, <laughs> Is the world of Midworld really preferable? Like, Midworld feels, uh, as well-developed as it is, it's not very well-developed, but as well-developed as it is, it feels kind of like a uh, hellscape. It's a, po- a it's a post-apocalyptic wasteland, yeah. clearly. Yeah, it's like, it's like going to live in, like, Mad Max Fury Road world. It's like... Right. The, the, the gunslinger literally says to this, I don't know, was he 12, maybe 12-year-old boy? <laughs> yeah. 13, 14? No older than that. Maybe, I mean, at, be- at oldest, he's like a freshman in high school. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, he says to him, you have nothing left here. Your life is in shambles. Come with me to the post-apocalyptic wasteland. Don't don't go to school. Don't stay <laughs> on this place with, you know, running water and toilets. Uh, come with me to the hellscape and hang out. Like, this is the worst. Yeah, I'll, I'll, be your, I'll be your father. father I'll be your father. You know, you'll be my son. It'll be like just like old times. Yeah. And he's like, OK. Yeah, he he seems like really excited about it. like really you're really asking me as though as though this offer was like an incredibly generous uh, proposal. I was flabbergasted. <laughs> I could not believe my ears or my eyes. I th- I also think that was also some kind of a reshoot because it's very strange. And they don't even show them getting in the portal. They just walk down a street. They go in a door. And then they literally just like – there's like sound effects and a little flash of light. I was like this – I can't believe this is the actual ending of this movie. <laughs> it was such a very – it's such an odd image to end on. Like it, yes. It's almost like they ran out of money for yes. that last – like it could have been like a very um, – what's another movie? Like Stargate. You know, like Stargate. I'm, I'm pretty sure that movie ends on a portal, right? Uh, right. The, the original, right? The Roland Emmerich movie. 
and it's beautiful. Like it's a beautiful ending, you know, for that movie, uh, right. where they're they're standing at the Stargate, and he's like, you know, I'm not gonna go, and he goes to the Stargate. You know, like it, it, there there's a lot of um, symbolism and visual beauty that goes into like portals, you know, in movies, and uh, this movie could have done that, but instead they just walk into this nondescript alley building. And then right. you, you see like flashes of light that could have been done using like a freaking lamp or whatever, and uh, cut to credits. That's the end of the movie. It, it's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> truly, so, truly unbelievable. So, last question, Matt Singer. Yes. Are you looking forward to the sequel? <laughs> you know, in all seriousness, if you told me we fired every creative person involved in this movie, we are, uh, and we got rid of McConaughey too. But we're bringing back Idris Elba, and we're giving this material to a legitimately – like a bold director with a lot of ideas, like visual ideas. Um, I would be interested in seeing a sequel because I liked Idris Elba as this character, and I could totally see the good version of this movie. Like I absolutely think that the material would work with him, but this movie is just – on a couple of levels, is just a total disaster. Like you said, the the choice to make the uh, the boring, bland kid the main character pretty much sinks it right from the get go. Yeah. Um, and then the fact again, there's all these things that we didn't understand, which I think is a result of clearly, you know, there's all these rumors and articles online about how the test screenings were terrible. They cut a bunch out of the movie. They re-edited it, and it feels like that. I don't know that that's true, but it definitely feels like a movie that's been cut to the bone to make something that plays, that moves quickly, and that for an audience that you know, like it's just a 90-minute kind of action fantasy blockbuster, and it's not really boring. Like it does move quickly, and when it's over, you're like, all right, you know, I wasn't bored, but you just the fact that they cut out all this stuff that probably you needed to understand the movie, like all these motivations and how everything works. It's just what you're left with is this confusing 90-minute movie. And if the movie was visually exciting, then maybe that would have been okay. But it's just – it's not very dynamic, and all the action scenes are at night and dimly lit. The monster designs, you can't even see what anything is. So you have like a, a serviceable, confusing, not very interesting-looking movie with a very charismatic lead. Uh, or n- not even lead side character. Side character. <laughs> he's, he's not right, the lead right. of this movie, right? I stand corrected. Um, but uh, yeah, I think you, you summed it up really well. A uh, lot of problems with this movie. Very unfortunate. And I, I've been seeing a lot of reviews online that are just like Eric Vespi's review at Ain't Cool News. Heartbreaking because this is probably the only time we're going to see this movie adapted to the, like it's been decades in the making, right? To get this movie to the big screen, they're, they're probably not going to get another bite of the apple at this one for at least another decade or two. Um, it's like you know M Night Shyamalan's The Last Airbender. You know, no one's talking about making another Last Airbender movie. You know, right? Um, right. And so it's a shame because it, it's an epic work. I, I mean, imagine if instead of Lord of the Rings, uh. Like, Lord of the Rings was three movies, and then Hobbit was three movies. Imagine if the material from Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit was compressed compressed into an 88-minute movie, you know? Right. That's kind of right. what this feels like. Um, yeah. And it suffers horribly because of it. So yeah, I mean, I'm not like I already said. I think they could have made they, you could make a movie out of this if you did like a, a manageable chunk of it. But I, I, I think pretty clearly this was meant to be like 
a TV show. Yeah. Like, don't you think this would just be yeah. like an HBO be the, or, or HBO Stars like, or something? Yeah, like that. Westworld. Yeah. Make this Westworld. Basically, yeah. Yeah. throw an, you know a huge amount of money at it, and this could be your next like Game of Thrones or Westworld. Like very easily, it seems like it's tailor made for that. And so the choice to do it this way was definitely compromised. Uh, well, Matt Singer's review of The Dark Tower can be found at ScreenCrush.com. It's entitled A Good Gunslinger and a Bad Gunslinger Movie. Uh, and where can people follow you on Twitter, Matt Singer? Uh, at Matt Singer. Really appreciate you joining me today on the Slash Filmcast. Find my stuff at DaveChen.net at SlashFilmcast.com. And I'm on, I'm on Twitter at Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen SKY. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our review of Okja. We needed a miracle. And then we got one. This beautiful and special little creature will be a revolution in the livestock industry. Our super pigs will not only be big and beautiful, they will also leave a minimal footprint on the environment, consume less feed, and produce less excretions. And most importantly, they need to taste fucking good. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen. With me is... Deventure Hardware. And welcome to the show. Uh, if you're listening to this right now, I've probably put some pre-announcement saying that we're going to be talking about Bong Joon-ho's newest film, Okja. This is uh, on Netflix right now, and many people have called it uh, the first film... That's worth getting Netflix to see. Like, this is, this is a movie that, like, uh, it would be worth it just to get the subscription for a month just to see this movie, right? Uh, Bong Joon-ho, you know, like, I'm a Bong Joon-ho zombie from way back, Divinity Hardware. I mean, I have Barking Dogs Never Bite uh, on DVD on my shelf, you know? I've yep, seen, same. Yep, I've yep. seen pretty much all of his movies. Um, uh, you know, Memories of Murder... Um, I've seen The Host, I've seen Mother, I've seen Snowpiercer, uh, huge fan of the guy, interviewed him yeah. twice for Slash Incredibly talented film. guy. Yeah. Incredibly talented guy, right? Um, and in, in, in the past, has, like his, his films have featured bold, original ideas uh, that are just unlike anything else you'd see uh, in cinemas or, or now on video on demand. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, so we, we both have a lot of respect for him, and I think that's kind of what drove you, in addition to the movie itself, that's what drove you to want us to do this podcast together, right? This, uh, Most definitely, this episode, yeah. yeah. Uh, New Bong Joon-ho movie, we cannot just ignore that, correct, you know? Correct. Before we get to the, the actual uh, Okja movie itself, though, I uh, wanted to mention just, like, some of the controversy around the movie. Like, this movie mm-hmm. played at Cannes this year, but there was a whole hullabaloo about <laughs> the fact that uh, it was by Netflix, and a lot of people didn't like that. Uh, Netflix. Did the can audience boo, Dave? <laughs> I think there was some boo. They well, always uh, the, boo. The they screening, boo everything. The, the screening went badly, as far as I know, uh-huh. um, and and that kind of like added uh, insult to the injury. It, it, yeah, it, it was halted after nonstop booing, according to the Independent. Um, but uh, in any case, now we all have a chance to enjoy it at home, and I'm going to just read the plot summary from IMDb right now of this movie. Um, meet Mija, a young girl who risks everything to prevent a powerful multinational company from kidnapping her best friend, a fascinating animal named Okja. So this movie like, 
goes all around the world, has uh, actors from all around the world, uh, and there's just a lot of interesting aspects to it. But Devendra, let's talk about things we really liked about this movie. All right. Uh, mm-hmm. What overall sounds like you're a fan of the movie? What was your favorite elements of it? Oh, I really, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And what I love about Bong Joon Ho is that he takes genre material and just does something a little more with it. His movies tend to have a lot of heart. And they tend to like just go in wild directions sometimes in places you won't expect. Uh, a movie like The Host, uh, you know, the people you want to survive don't always survive. And our heroes fail a lot. And our main hero in The Host is like just a big bumbling fool. Uh, this movie definitely um, – it feels almost more like a like a Spielberg type of film, like an 80s film. A girl and her giant pig and her quest to save her giant pig. Um, I really enjoyed the set pieces here. Uh, I enjoyed pretty much all the uh, uh, off-the-wall acting. Uh, I know Jake Gyllenhaal is very uh, hit or miss for people in this movie. And it he takes some getting used to, but I really enjoyed what he was doing. He is like – he's like Steve Irwin on like acid and also on like pure like just fame adrenaline. Kind of amazing. Tilda Swinton, good here, although I really – I think I enjoyed her Snowpiercer performance more. And uh, the young girl who played Mija, I really enjoyed her too. Like she, there's so much fierceness to her and everything she does. At one point, she basically becomes like an action hero, jumping through things and just doing entire set pieces. So I enjoyed all of that. Um, yeah, the only – I guess the only issue I have with the movie is that I think it's kind of philosophically muddled. Kind of goes – it has a lot of ideas, and it doesn't quite gel them all interestingly or nicely, but I think it's still very much worth watching. I really enjoyed it. Hmm. Okay. Well, I'll say what I liked about this movie, uh, but before I do, I'll say overall the movie didn't really work well for me. I would say it's probably one of my least favorite Bong Joon-ho movies, uh, but I'll, I'll get more into that later. Let me talk about the things I really liked. One of them is uh, the creature Okja. I thought mm-hmm. totally worked. In this movie, right? I mean, uh, I was completely sold that this was an actual creature living in our world, uh, and the way that Mija interacts with uh, Okja is uh, it just it just it's co- it completely sells the illusion, right? Some combination right, yeah. of practical effects and visual effects uh, were able to insert this uh, fantastical creature into our three dimensional space, and you not only buy that the creature exists. But you also buy the relationship between Mija and Okja. It's very tender, very warm, and uh, the is by far the best aspect of the movie. So, really like that. Uh, and I, overall, I like the performances. You know what? I, I had a, like a scary moment. I mm-hmm. didn't know. I didn't know that Paul Dano was in this movie, but <laughs> I, I recognized him through his mask. Uh-huh. Uh, he, he, he like when you see him for the first time, he's wearing a ski mask, and I recognized him. And I was like, "That's Paul Dano," and I, that's when I realized I've been watching movies. You for have a, really, a problem. I've been watching yeah. movies for a really long time, especially those featuring Paul Dano. If I could yes. recognize him through a ski mask, but uh, <laughs> liked all the well, he has a very specific face too. He's like a very big flat face, so you know you see yeah. that guy. Tender, tender, kind eyes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and uh, l- liked all the performances. I mean, I wasn't a fan really of what Jake Gyllenhaal was doing, but I come liked on, Tilda, I like Tilda Swinton who's putting in double form, a double performance here. Paul Dano is awesome in this movie, um, mm-hmm. and uh, of course, as you mentioned, uh, the actress who plays plays Mija, uh, An Seo Hun or An Seo Hyun, uh, 
mm-hmm. I thought she is, uh, you know, you, you don't always get great child actors, but she really delivers uh, in this role, I thought. So uh, really like the performances as well. And uh, I like the ending of the movie, which we're not going to get into right now, but I, I kind of liked that. Uh, I liked where things wrapped up, but I thought the tones in this movie were a bit of a mishmash that didn't quite sure. work for me. There's some, but corporate... that, that happens to him a lot, right? Yeah, a lot of his... Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like I feel like a movie like Snowpiercer or even Memories of Murder, right? Mm-hmm. Memories of Murder is some dark subject. Great movie, by the way. Really dark subject matter, right? Police brutality. Yeah, it's also extremely funny. You know what I mean? Yep. And he, yep. he, he like seesaws back and forth between, uh, you know, incredibly dark and very funny and lighthearted and uh, somber, you know, like all these tones. And I have generally found that he is very good at balancing the different tones. And for some reason, I don't know, Devendra, for, for me, mm-hmm. this, this movie, Okja, the, the tones just didn't work for me, particularly the corporate satire aspects. I, I just did not <laughs> feel like it was saying anything interesting about yeah, yeah, yeah. about uh, corporations and and how you know yeah the, the industrial pursuit, food the, the movement industrial food and everything movement yeah. and, and how uh, uh how those like profit is the most important thing and mm-hmm. i mean there's one cool moment at the end I'll, I'll get to that later that that i thought was was kind of cool but uh with regards to the corporate stuff but yeah the corporate stuff didn't really work too well for me and um and i thought the tones overall like I, I think people were saying uh, – one comparison I saw was if this is like if Wes Anderson directed a heist movie, right? <laughs> and I thought that was a pretty good good description, but, you know, not sure. – not, it's not as good as I think that description would suggest. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, uh, let's talk about the corporate stuff. Here's what I'll say. One issue I had with the movie is I didn't think the movie did a particularly good job of establishing – the stakes of uh, Okja being like what? What was going on with Okja? Like he, mm-hmm. uh, he's a genetically engineered pig, and uh, if the project succeeds, then blank they they get a more delicious pig. Like they get the, the, the I, Okja I, I, meat is plentiful. Like what? I, I do think that is part of the goal, actually, and uh, part of. I, uh, the first version of, uh, of that we see of Tilda Swinton in this movie, um, you know, it, it almost seems noble. It is an idea that we, we kind of do need to feed the world. And a lot of people don't have enough food on this planet. And one potential solution is like genetically modified organisms and something like that is, is okay. I think that's the plan. But there is something sinister there, too. And then we see, like, towards the end of the movie, like, how these creatures are being, you know, held and how they're being raised. Like, that's the dark side of it. But I think the ultimate goal of really, you know, good tasting, super cheap meat. I I mean, I think you'd ask a lot of people. I think that's something they'd want. It's just what is the cost of that? And that's kind of what we need to ask ourselves. It's true. I mean, that's basically what I put together myself. You know, like, uh, Mm -hmm. yes, there's clearly something essential about Okja. In the movie, um, but I didn't feel like they did a good job of explaining like like Okja is uh, economically right. advantageous or like we mm-hmm. get a better ratio of meat out of him and then that other oh it's, it's it is I think it was the biggest one because it was like very much like organically grown right this is right. the ideal farm environment to raise your meat 
Uh, and the movie isn't like pure vegetarianism. Like it's not really pushing that idea too, because uh, yeah, Mija eats meat in this film as well. I, I think like that's it's more about like being responsible and sustainable about your food and how you raise it. I remember I was in high school once and <laughs> a long time ago, and mm-hmm. uh, I remember I was teaching um, SAT. Uh, like for Princeton Review or something like that, you know. Uh, I was a SAT test instructor, and I uh, talked to. I, I still remember this guy. You know, it's funny the conversations you remember with people from uh, decades ago. And oh, I yeah. remember talking to this guy who was a vegetarian, and he said to me something that for some reason I still remember after all this time. He said, "I'm a vegetarian because one day, like when you, like, I, I was eating a hamburger one day, and I realized." This thing used to have a personality, <laughs> you know, and I couldn't uh, – after I had that realization, I could no longer eat meat. Like I, could, I couldn't eat things that once had personalities. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's kind of one of the messages of this movie is to confront uh, the idea that a lot of the food that many people consume – um, that these are like living creatures, and to evaluate the double standards we have around mm-hmm. what we're okay eating, what we're okay like, what we're what we get really upset about eating. You know, in America, the uh, lines are quite arbitrary, in my opinion. Right? I, sure. There was actually yeah. an episode of South Park that did a good job illustrating this. But you, you know, uh, people think like if you eat a dog. Or, or if you mm-hmm. eat like a horse or something, like you're a monster because yeah. people are friends with those animals. But they have no qualms about eating, you know, cows or pigs or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and this, the, the, one of the messages or the purposes of this movie feels to me like it's trying to make you confront the idea that hey, like evaluate your double standards. What do you think of that? Mm-hmm. I think that's that's about right. And pigs, the, it's really important that Okja is a pig, too, because pigs are often talked about as being very similar to humans um, anatomically. Uh, it's a thing. I, I don't know if you dissected fetal pigs in high school, but uh, it's something I had to do uh, a couple yeah, of times. Yeah, totally. And it's uh, yeah, it's a it's a really strange experience because when you start to like map, oh, like their organs are in the same place, like every it's also similar and then you start to feel like some sort of kinship there. So, yeah, that, that idea of confronting the double standard, that's a big one. Uh, but, yeah, things that, you, that you're bringing up, too, like the idea that in America, you know, yeah, we don't eat horses. That's crazy. But you go to, you go to Europe and a lot of countries have no problems with that. Right. And that's just kind of a thing. Um, it's, yeah, our, our societal standards are all over the place and they're very different. Uh, I don't know if the movie has a clear message. That's the ultimate well, thing. Think, Other I, than like, I, I, be I, sustainable, be you know, kind to your food until yeah, you kill it. I, I mean, I think the fact that Okja is not a an earthly creature, you know, not a creature mm-hmm. we see on our planet, uh, allows you to uh, impose any reading of that creature that you want. You know, that could be a pig, it could be a cow, it could be any animal, right? That someone cares mm-hmm. for. Um, and so it, it, the fact that it's like almost almost like genetically modified alien creature makes it more relatable, I think. Um, so th- that part of the movie actually really worked for me. Uh, just the the argument for uh, more humanity and how we treat the things mm-hmm. that we eat. You know, I, I did yeah. I did think that that aspect of the film worked. The corporate satire stuff. I mean, nothing in the movie from the corporate perspective felt like it could eclipse reality. 
in right. terms of how insane it was. So so he has to go extra over the top, and we saw that in Snowpiercer too, I think. Um, but it's <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the thing. It either you either get, fall in line with his sensibility, but Bong Joon Ho doesn't really care if like you don't if you find something distasteful. You know that he does, and Snowpiercer had a lot of that too. Uh, the, <laughs> that movie would be gross really quickly all of a sudden, like the stuff about the uh, the cricket food and uh, the monologue at the end of the movie. Like there, there are things there, that movie goes places that you didn't even expect, right? And you that's know, one, just by that's another, the stuff. That's another thing to argue in favor of uh, this movie and any of Bong Joon Ho's movies is he really mm-hmm. makes movies that are unlike any other movies. You know, oh like, yeah. I mean, Snowpiercer, uh, sure, there are like, sci-fi movies that are similar to that. But, I mean, The Host and Memories of Murder and um, Mother, I've never seen another movie like Mother, you know, mm-hmm. in my whole life. I mean, that's just such a weird, disturbing uh, and funny and odd, it, it, you know, it, it, it's just like it, it, he demands your attention because there's something so unique and curious about his work. Um, and so... To, to that extent, if you're a Bong Joon-ho fan, I definitely would recommend this movie. But yeah, it's not really uh, not really in the upper tier of Bong Joon-ho movies for me. Uh, anything else you want to say before we get to spoilers for this movie, Devendra? Uh, it is. It's a beautiful film, and I think he has a he always has a great eye. He's a great way of shooting things. Uh, I just wish more. I, I'd love for more people to be influenced by Bong Joon-ho. I think he is one of the most talented directors working right now and you know budding uh filmmakers could learn a lot about how he's approaching this i like that he kind of takes the spielberg mold and does something new with it and i see a lot of filmmakers just trying to do the spielberg thing trying to do the thing they grew up with and i like the way that he's constantly just pushing boundaries so i i dig that and uh you know he should be respected for that at least yeah, uh, Warren Chang in the chat room right now is saying uh, that he lives in Korea and ate dinner at a small local restaurant last week, and, and Bong Joon-ho was sitting next to him, and Warren told him that he thought the Korean theater operators were bastards for boycotting his movie. In <laughs> yep. Korea, the main theater operators didn't allow his movie in the theaters because of the Netflix co-release. Yeah, I mean, a lot of theaters see Netflix as a, an existential threat uh, mm-hmm. to them, to their way of life, and the fact that this movie is being released on Netflix... Um, you know, they did. They did not take kindly to it. Uh, in you know, they like they changed the rules I can to prevent movies like this from being there <laughs> next year. Yeah, Chris Nolan it's, actually. It's, Chris, did you see uh-huh. the Chris Nolan's recent remarks on? Uh, I did. Yeah, on, on uh, video on demand. Like he he weighed in against Netflix. Saying, I, I can't blame him. Yeah, uh, saying that. Uh, Netflix has no interest in the theatrical model, and he's saying, "Look, like uh, other companies allow you to release their movies <laughs> in theaters, and which then we still will not say other com- companies, other companies yeah. uh, allow you to release movies in theaters and then show up on their video on demand service." Right, right. You know, it's it's, and, it's a much smarter method, I think. Yeah, right. And and Nolan is saying like Netflix seems to be here. Quote: Netflix has a bizarre aversion to supporting theatrical films. They have this mindless policy of everything having to be uh, simultaneously streamed and released, which is obviously an untenable model for theatrical presentation. So they're mm-hmm. not even getting in the game, and I think they're missing huge opportunity. Uh, end quote. I mean, I do feel like this movie would have benefited from a, a larger screen. Yeah, you know, this is it not- is in. Yeah, the sadder ahead. thing is that you can't you can't see it on a movie theater screen. And I think that's you know, Bong Joon Ho movies never get wide releases. You know, they'll be in indie theaters and stuff. But that's still a lot of people 
who have a chance to see this movie like on a huge screen projected like it's supposed to be. Well, if you, it if is you were in a can, place. you could see it, Devendra. If you well, can. yeah, well, it's also it's actually in a couple of theaters. Uh, I think it's called iClips or one of those. Uh, iPix. Uh, it's a weird ass chain. It's like a one of the like uh, restaurant chains, except it's really gross and the tickets are like 30 bucks. I think they have one here in New York. So it's playing there. It's actually playing at the Lincoln Center. So that's kind of nice, but it's that's kind of a very specific New York thing. IPEX only has, uh, I think, only a handful of theaters around the world at this point. But that's that's the big problems. Like this is a big, beautiful movie that deserves, you know, a huge presentation. And I think it is inherently, it's not great that this movie didn't even get that chance. You know, as much as I love the democratic model of Netflix, you know, giving everybody the chance to see this thing streaming. Uh, I you know, I think of like where most people will end up seeing a movie like this. And even if you're watching on your TV, uh, most people have TV speakers. Uh, a lot of people will just be watching this on their laptop. I swear to God, I, I, I get physically angry thinking about people watching beautiful movies like this on their phones. That's something that, you know, it would be less of a problem if it had even a chance to to breathe in the theatrical experience. And Amazon, at least, is like balancing that a lot more smartly. I think that shows we've talked about this before. I think that shows in terms of like how awards and stuff look at these films too. like uh, Amazon has done much better at the Academy Awards than Netflix. And I think uh, we don't know, but a, probably a potential reason for that could be like how it, it exists in the theaters. Right. Theatrical um, release. Yeah. How, the, how yeah. they handle that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk about some spoilers for Oak just starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. I'm trying to see this coming. No, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. So I think a lot of people, uh, the ending of this movie Mm -hmm. is one of the most powerful scenes you know that oh i've heard from people saying oh this movie almost made me a vegetarian because of that last scene uh i don't know maybe something's wrong with me you know maybe mm-hmm. maybe i don't know how to feel anymore but i guess <laughs> I, I feel like i've seen so many of those you know i've i've read fast yeah. food nation you've I've seen the seen, docs you know i've seen food inc like i've seen all these like uh movies about industrial farming and industrial uh, like all, all the industrial food complex, as it were. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I know the ending is supposed to be shocking uh, when you, you see the kind of, uh, you know, industrial complex that Okja is, uh, you know, where millions of mm-hmm. Okjas are killed. But, uh, yeah, it didn't, it didn't really have as much of an effect on me as I think it did for other people. I thought it was, it was shot incredibly well. Like uh-huh. The color grading made it feel very cold and, and it is a stark contrast to the kind of very uh, pastoral life that, that the movie opens with. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, yeah, the, you, the big you... disturbing scene there, though, it's... Uh, so not only do we see them in the pen, but I think it is the like forceful impregnation of, uh, of Okja that I didn't... I didn't expect to see that in this movie, yeah, that and was, that, that is pretty upsetting. Yeah, that's it's upsetting. It's rough um, because it's basically like, oh, this is like we were watching an animal rape scene, basically, right. and it, it upset a lot of people because Okja, as a character, at least, has a lot of like personality. It has a lot of like, um, it, it has a sense of will, has a sense of you know, it knows what it is. It's not just an animal. Um, and I think that film, that scene was particular. It was shot in a way to be scary and to be terrifying. So I th- that was the big thing. And also, yeah, made you think of like 
what Jake Gyllenhaal's character is as much more of a monster than what he initially seemed early on. Uh, that scene, I'm still chewing on. I think Bong Joon-ho tends to do these things. He's like big these i don't know big emotionally wrought scenes and that one may have gone too far especially since i think this movie is a great family movie it, it's something that you know kids could like it's i forget at this point because because i saw it a couple of weeks ago i think it's it there's not too bloody although there are some scenes of violence yeah um it's just that particular scene i could just imagine a kid watching that and being like scarred for life just it because of what yeah, it's showing it, I, yeah. I agree yeah it would have been a good family movie except for the animal rape scene yeah, uh, but yeah, thanks, Bonjuho. It is a very, it's a very upsetting. Uh, it, it could be like this nice sort of coming of age tale, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, a very upsetting scene, shot in a really disturbing way, um, and and I, I guess makes you question the practice of animal husbandry in general, right? Like, I mean that that I don't know about because that's yeah, that's rough. I guess because it's. The, it's tough to make like human judgments on things like that unless like humans are specifically doing something horrible to these animals. That's the thing, right? Because then nature is nature, I guess. Yeah, right. still Na- trying to wrap my head around it. Nature itself can be like horrifying as well. You know, yeah, without, animals you know. are terrifying to each other. Um, but uh, the key in this movie was that it was Jake Gyllenhaal kind of produced, like making this thing happen in a way that was very violent. Tokja. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. I made this joke uh, when the movie first came out, which is there's this movie of uh, – I'm sorry. This is episode of the Netflix original series BoJack Horseman. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Chickens, I think. You know which episode I'm talking about? I think it's season two, episode five. Okay. Uh, with Becky, like the chicken. You, yes, I don't know yes. If you remember. Right. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that episode really captured – arguably in a better way what this movie is trying to say especially with this movie's <laughs> ending so right. uh what happens in the, in that episode of bojack horseman is uh th- you know they find like the, the bojack horseman world is populated by animals all over the place but some animals are of a let's just say um lower class than the other animals like they, they sure. they're actually animals you know in, in the way we conceive of them versus animals that can walk around and have thoughts and talk um, and they are those animals are often slaughtered, and we eat them. Um, and they discover a chicken, and they spend the whole episode trying to uh, save this chicken from being slaughtered, right? And uh, they feel like at the end they finally made a difference for this one chicken. And uh, you know, at the end of the episode, you see someone like putting up a sign. Like there's a sign that's like uh, this chicken-esque store or is mcdonald's or something it's like five billion served and they put like a six billion up there you know like oh we saved this one chicken but in reality uh the industrial machine has churned on uh without our knowledge and approval and understanding right like yeah even the even if okja has been saved uh there are still thousands of okjas that's why the ending of this movie is very bittersweet is you got uh okja and he's he's happy and everyone's happy together uh, but that doesn't stop the fact that there's like hundreds of of other Okja esque creatures uh, that are being mercilessly slaughtered. They they have done mm-hmm. nothing to stop that machinery whatsoever. I, uh, yeah, I don't think the movie pretends to even solve that. That's the whole like, even though Okja is saved, they do have that stroll through basically that horrific farm, and that I think that cements that idea. Right? They save this one animal, but it's still not great for all these others. 
Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, it's like that story, you know, uh, I, I'm pulling in all the uh, analogies and stories here, Devendra, but it's sure. like that story of the guy uh, who's you know, tr- picking up starfish on a beach, right, and throwing them back in the ocean uh, to prevent them from drying up and dying, and someone goes up to him and says, like, there's thousands of starfish out here, like, what possible difference can you make? And he picks up a starfish and he throws it into the ocean and he says, I made a difference for that one. And I feel like that's kind of what this movie is saying in some ways. Yeah, is, yeah. is that, okay, they didn't stop the uh, industrial machinery of killing all these beloved creatures, um, but they were able to stop it from taking this one, and mm-hmm. there is some value in that. And I, I do. do yeah, I mean, go do ahead. You, do you buy, like, firstly, do you agree that that's the message? And if so, do you buy it? Do you feel like. Yeah, I, there I is think that's value? fine. Like, yeah. this is a very focused movie about one girl and her pig, and that's it. And I think I would have been more impressed if the movie had gone whole hog, as it were. Nice. And really, just really, like, this one girl ends up, like, destroying this company. You know, that would have been, like, a great Snowpiercer-esque, like, just pure insanity type of ending or something. Right. Uh, and right. would have, like, global re- repercussions. And it didn't quite have that. I felt, I felt like that was a distinct possibility, given yeah. know, Bong Joon-ho's other movies, given that this girl was made, you know, the uh, figurehead of the company, right? Like, she was... Mm-hmm. They were using her for PR and stuff. So I felt like, oh, maybe something horrible will happen and she'll take down the company. Uh, but that doesn't happen. Uh, Bobby G in the chat room says, I think that's intentional and part of the point. The fight against this or any ethical injustice doesn't end with the victory of any individual case. Mm-hmm. So um, there's, a, there's that. Yeah. yeah. I think the movie does try a little to show the idea that uh, even on the, uh, the people who are trying to save these animals, the, the eco fighters, like there is, there's certainly like, potential dangers there too with going too far into that philosophy uh because paul dano's character has that crazy freak out at one point um so it kind of does that but also yeah it doesn't say it wisely enough i guess like i i do feel like this movie feels like a first pass at a lot of these concepts and they you know if bong joon ho had a little more time and he also uh, co-wrote this movie with john ronson who he did men who stare at goats and frank so like he's good also stuff. a very well respected author, yeah, 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 and it's I, it seems like there are a lot of like ideas here that weren't fully formed, uh, in particular like the idea too that they it presents the idea of GMO or genetically modified creatures as definitely definitely kind of bad for society in a way. And I know well, that's something it, we're dealing with because it presents mm-hmm. us with these moral conundrums of what to do with Okja esque creatures. You're saying or. Because like, genetic mm-hmm. engineering brought us Okja, and we like yes. Okja in the movie, so is that I, I don't know that I agree that it presents GMOs as bad. Well, I think yeah. that's the entire that was the entire point of like creating this whole thing too, right? If you look at the presentation Tilda Swinton was giving at the beginning, um, I, I I guess I was just looking at that through the lens of how people are looking at GMOs today, right? And I'm sure a lot of those eco-soldiers were probably trying to fight from this thing happening even in the first place. So given their philosophy, right, now they ought to exist, they're not going to, like, go off and kill her or something. Like, she, she's a creature and she she's sentient. But this this idea of taking animals and doing things to them, we see that crazy lab at the end, too, uh, where they were kind of worked on. Uh, I think that, I did get the sense that that's not great. It's not something that the movie really wants. Uh, but right, yeah, you're right. right. Especially Ocho's because of how movie. idyllic Okja's existence is on this farm and, and how right, that, right. The, the, you know, 
living in the mountains of wherever they are, uh, <laughs> it, it helps uh, Okja to be the most healthy and successful out of all of the pigs, right? So Exactly, yeah. So there is kind of this argument for all natural, organic, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there, is, yeah. That's just something we're dealing with today. And I, I have a lot of thoughts about that, too, because you look at a lot of, uh, especially like, um, you know, organic uh, people who really want to live organically and are really hesitant to accept something like that in their lives or, you know, in their refrigerator or something. And it's complicated because I do feel like we're going to have to look at a lot of solutions, by the way, to fix the world hunger problem. So, yeah, it's just something I've been thinking about for quite a while. You know, we, we've been doing genetic modification through animal husbandry and through all sorts of things and crossbreeding, you know, crops and plants and things like that uh, for a while. Now we're just doing it on like a, uh, a more specific scale. So, yeah, I don't quite know if the movie had yeah, much may, to say. There. I, I think maybe what the movie is trying to say is that the extremes are bad or silly. You know, at mm-hmm. least that's one one message I took away from it is you have this kind of over-the-top corporate presentation at the beginning of the film uh, that it, I, I think you you as the audience are meant to recognize its mm-hmm. superficiality and manipulativeness and uh, disingenuousness. You know, I think you're, you're meant to see it and, and understand that you, this should not be taken at face value. But then you have the kind of freedom fighters who are also presented as somewhat ridiculous. I mean, they they do things that are morally questionable and one of them doesn't want to eat vegetables because he's right. Like uh-huh. he's afraid <laughs> he, he, he's, you know, he wants to subsist on, on the air or whatever, you know, like he, he's, <laughs> he doesn't want to damage any of uh, God's creation. Uh, and, and I think both of those extremes come off as um, silly and untenable and, you know, uh, mm-hmm. maybe the uh maybe the solution is don't do anything extreme you know find some balance between being a heartless corporate monster and uh you know not wanting to eat fruit that's fallen from a tree or whatever you know for sure for sure uh, and maybe eat a little less meat I, I think that's something we could actually all take away uh although i think uh, it's going to get interesting have you had any of that lab grown meat yet dave i have not have you it's a Wait, it's you, a weird sensation. Yeah, I have you, I you had, had one of those. Grown meat? Oh my gosh! So they have those. They have those everywhere. Now. Well, oh, at least in New York, oh. and they may have they may have like an Impossible Burger in your place too. Oh, right? I have not. No, I've not seen this. Uh, you know, I know they recently mm-hmm. had like a lab grown hamburger somewhere. Right. Recently, like that was a big deal when that debuted. Um, and it, it's 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 a big deal if they can mm-hmm. get that to work because. Uh, meat contributes so much to the planet's carbon footprint, uh, you know, humans' carbon footprint. And if you can grow meat in a, mm-hmm. a dish instead of, you know, uh, growing an actual animal and then you slaughtering it and doing all the things that go with that, um, it can yeah. make what the environment. It's a game changer for the environment. Um, but I have not had lab-grown meat yet. Uh, actually, how, how I've, I had the Impossible Burger, which is not lab-grown meat, but it's a vegan patty that's just like very, very oh. meat-like. Oh, oh I see. I see. No, no, that's completely different than like that's actually, very different. Yeah, than actually trying different. to grow meat. But how is the Impossible Burger? How is that? It's weird. That is a weird <laughs> sensation. But yeah, the, I, I guess my ultimate idea is around lab-grown meat, too. Like, what does that mean, especially for somebody, you know, for a vegan or something? Would that be something unique? Because that's not something related to an animal that, that had to suffer for 
for that, you know? Right. So well, we're going to go down really interesting territory. It depends on your yeah. reasons for becoming a vegan, right? Uh-huh. Uh, some people just don't like the taste, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, uh, any other thoughts on Okja, Devendra? Uh, like, is this one of your favorite Bong Joon-ho movies? Where would you rank I wouldn't say one of my favorite, but I, you know, I typically really like everything he's done. Uh yeah, I can't, it's even hard to judge. You know, they're the ones I really love. I think The Host is a fantastic movie, a perfect movie, like just a great sort of big monster movie and big family movie. And it's just like so self-contained, like The Host really works. Some of his things work better than others. I appreciate Snowpiercer for its insanity. And just, that movie is just pure go for broke. And I guess this movie ranks a little under Snowpiercer for me. So probably among his movies, probably among the bottom. But it's I still really enjoyed it. He's he's. Yeah. You know, it's still very fun. To, it's a very interesting experience to go through, for sure. Yeah, I just, I, you know, I, I, I did not feel like it balanced the tones well. You know, there, there's that scene mm-hmm. when uh, there's that amazing chase sequence in the middle of the movie when she's yeah. uh, Mija is like jumping over trucks and stuff and running through office buildings, and that's incredible. But this is not uh, this is not an action movie. You know, it's <laughs> it's not it's not supposed to be that like. It just felt like this weird mix of all these different movies that never really became more than the sum of their parts. There was like mm-hmm. a nice little mini chase scene in there. There's this like nice little like uh, girl bonding with her animal movie in there. There's this kind of mediocre corporate uh, satire in there, and it just felt like they threw them all in a blender, and it didn't it didn't come yeah. out in a in a way that really worked well for me. A lot of people love this movie, so I feel bad for not liking it but you know that's how i feel about it that's uh, fine what do you what did you think of jake gyllenhaal though i uh, was not uh was not a fan <laughs> i mean I, I think you know we we talked about uh dunkirk and how you know i saw dunkirk again i'm gonna say say more about that in the next slash filmcast or or the previous slash filmcast to begin on when this when this comes out but um we I, I spent a lot of the first viewing of dunkirk trying to figure out what was actually going on right, in the yeah. movie, and you know, like what what time sequence we were in or whatever, uh, and it took away from the movie experience for me. That's how mm-hmm. I feel about Jake Gyllenhaal's performance. <laughs> I spent <laughs> a significant portion of time trying to figure out what he was doing, and I didn't really. Uh, I, I mean, whatever, whatever you can say about it, though, he really went for it. You know, that is a performance. He really went yeah. for it. Like, and. Uh, he tried something really, really different than anything he's ever done before, and you got to admire someone for giving that a shot. But yeah. it didn't, it didn't work for me. How about you? What, what did you think? Did you, I, think you know, it's definitely like grading. Like that's the thing. Like you, you have to take that character in small doses. But I, yeah, I think Jake Gyllenhaal is a fantastic actor, one of my favorite actors right now. And this is just, it is so out of left field. It is so weird, <laughs> so strange. And I'm like, I, I couldn't help but enjoy it. And a complete, like, when that character is just, like, put together with all the other insanity in this movie, like, it's, it just really worked. It's a very Bong Joon-ho character. I can't see that character existing in any movie outside of one, you know, directed by Bong Joon-ho. Yeah, yeah. Uh, any other thoughts? Yeah, I do want to I'm point good. out that there was one moment that people really liked in the movie that, uh, again, n- n- almost none of the corporate stuff worked for me at all, but... Uh, there w- I did find the way this scene was filmed to be like a bit effective, mm-hmm. which is um, to be mi- mildly effective, you know. Which is at the end when uh, she throws over the gold pig and 
Uh, Tilda Swinton, you know, the other Tilda Swinton character bites down on it and says, oh, well, you can have her. And it's like a very stark depiction of the value of money in this capitalist environment. Right, right, right. Um, And, uh, you know, that was the one scene that almost worked for me in in the (laughs) sense that, okay, yeah, that's like very stark, like how quickly she makes that decision and how... Uh, things, right? How things can be created for life in this horrifying system that we're all a part of, uh, and that we, you know, we have a similar system in reality today, and and are complicit mm-hmm. in it. Uh, I'm just talking about capitalism overall, I'm not talking about any specific company. So, um, <laughs> you know, that that was a. Uh, I, I like the idea uh, of that scene, and and I like the way it was shot, and, and yeah, yeah, the performance there. Uh, and it was like a very tense moment. You know, you don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was an unconventional way to kind of wrap all this up, too. So that was kind of nice. Yeah. 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 All right, Devendra. Well, I'm glad we got to do this. And I yeah. uh, hope uh, you had a good time talking with me about it. But um, yeah, Okja is out on Netflix right now. Thanks for listening to this uh, bonus segment of the Slash Filmcast. We'll see you guys later. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. 